Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to a brand new edition of geek to me Radio, our Boxing Day edition. We've got composer Andrew Lockington talking about his movie, or project, I should say, The Mayor of Kingstown. We'll then talk with actor Taylor Gray about his film Night Night and voicing Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. All that and more, stand by. We're talking TV, comics and movies, and video games. And if you don't know, Star Trek and Star Wars will try to explain. Driving around the greater St. Louis area tonight, hearing us on the big 550 KTRS celebrating 25 years in broadcast. We thank you for tuning in and listening. If we're streaming out there with you on the World Wide Web, on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook, we say hello to you and thanks very much for watching again. And of course, if you're hearing us after the fact in the podcast form, wherever you might get your podcast form, whatever platform that might be, we thank you for Finding us there. Hopefully, you are subscribing and leaving us a five star review. That always helps us out and makes us feel all warm and tingly. So, thank you very much for that. Uh, we have two great guests. Composer Andrew Lockington is up first, talking about Mayor of Kingstown with Jeremy Renner, who you may recognize from Hawkeye. Later on, we'll be talking with actor Taylor Gray about his movie Night Night, as well as his role as Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels, and maybe whether or not he'll be reprising that role in the Ahsoka Tano series. We'll see. But first, we go to Andrew Lockington. Right now we're talking to composer Andrew Lockington about the brand new series, Mayor of Kingstown. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for the time today. It's always fun to talk to composers because I think a lot of people talk to you know the actors and the directors, but the composers, the people behind the scenes, especially with the music on some of these uh, projects, is just blowing people away. So it's always great to talk to the unsung heroes like yourself. <laughs> well, it's great for us composers, too, because we're so used to uh, being locked away in a dark room all by ourselves. <laughs> so this is, a, this is always a pleasure. Cool, cool. And, and we talked a little bit about uh, before we kind of had a reset, but uh, these streaming services are putting out such great content, and there's so much content out now. But this one is on Paramount+. Plus. It's got uh, it's Jeremy Renner's in the cast, you know, from Hawkeye, obviously, from the Marvel movies. He's a two-time Oscar nominee. And, of course, it's created by Taylor Sheridan, the same guy who brought us Yellowstone. Mayor of Kingstown, talk a little bit about finding the sound for this particular project. Yeah, Taylor and I started talking about Mayor of Kingstown a few years ago, and he sent me all ten scripts, and um, I read all ten of them in one sitting. And I was in, I said to my wife after reading the first two these are amazing, and then I didn't talk to anybody for the next eight. So it's just one of those series that gets better and better and better, and it's all tied together in a really clever way, uh, as so many Taylor Sheridan projects are. I'm a huge fan of his writing. When we started talking about the music, we really wanted to create this dark canvas, um, this underworld feeling of the, the prison system, which is incredibly flawed. And then find these little moments of, of hope and little rays of, sun, of sunlight to kind of show in the music and, and to contrast the darkness. Yeah, and it's one of those, too, where obviously it's, uh, the, the music really drives a lot of the, the drama and the action and everything like that, too. Because I've often said if you are watching something you, and you hit mute, you take the music out of it and you lose a lot of the, uh, the emotion, the, the feelings that you're getting by taking away the music. And with a project like this, are you mostly looking at the script? Do you, do you get some visuals up ahead of time so you can see, okay, uh, he's, he's this kind of guy, so therefore we want kind of this type of theme for this person? How do you do it? Is it visually and just kind of also reading what's in the script to create the sound, or are you kind of more of one or the other? 
Yeah, that's a great question. In in almost every other project, the composer comes to the project at the end. It's shot, it's mostly edited, and they're putting the icing on the cake, so to speak, in this layer at the end. With with this project and with Taylor, we, we started talking about the music, and I started writing music for this long before they shot, um, a few months before they shot. I was writing sketches and themes. We were sending things back and forth, and... I was really lucky to be able to be on set on a regular basis during this. So, you know, um, Taylor would shoot a scene, look back at me and say, I'm thinking this for the music. What are you thinking? And and it was really obvious early on that he had music in his head from the get-go, from, from the inception of the idea. So, as I said, I wrote all this music um, quite a bit in advance got the sketches to Taylor. We had a lot of work back and forth on crafting themes and then got it to the edit suite. And in this particular case, the, the temp music is actually the music that I wrote for the show. The editors were using original music written for Mayor of Kingstown in the edit suite as they were figuring things out. Hmm. And um, it meant it was temped with our themes, our ideas, and and um, and sort of halfway there by the time we got to the, the scoring site. When you're working with a uh, director or a writer or producer on a project like this one, you said Taylor already kind of had an idea of the music he wanted. Is it normal? Do you, do you prefer to come into a blank slate like, you know, they say, Andrew, whatever you want, let's do it that way? Or do you like that little kind of a back and forth pushback with the director or the writer, or the producer, whoever it may happen to be that has an idea already formed? Yeah, a great question. The, the, the way, the, my preferred way is exactly what Taylor did, which he knew exactly what he wanted the music to achieve. He had no idea what that sounded like, and that was up to us to figure that out together. Um, but he, w- most of our conversations early on are what are, the, what are the themes, how can the music tie characters together who may not have a relationship on screen or share screen time on screen that might be two separate storylines or two separate households or two separate... Uh, groups in the story, but they, the music can talk about what they have in common. And those were a lot of our discussions early on, and that, that really ended up where being where the score went, is the music is, instead of redefining all the differences of all these different groups and all these different teams, you know, you've got all these different gangs, you've got different forms of law enforcement, you have Jeremy Renner's family, which is the McCluskey family, who are sort of the their own team, but they're in the middle, kind of being the, the line of communication between all of these other groups. And and the music kind of wanted to do the same thing. It wanted to draw the similarities. It was very obvious in the visuals where people sat, but, but to actually say that this drug dealer has something in common with this um, police officer or this guard or, or this teacher, all these people to really use the music to try to show their, what they had in common and, and also give you a chance to maybe look beyond the surface of some of these criminals um, and see them as people. Uh, look beyond what their challenges in life have been and try to understand their point of view and um, maybe empathize with them a little more. And you mentioned having the different sounds for this. If I'm not mistaken, you actually took a, a group of percussionists went to a real prison to get the acoustics. I, I'm assuming that's kind of like an echoey sound. I've never, I've never played drums in a prison, so I wouldn't know. But is that, what, what sort of different effect did that achieve? Was it just to kind of also put you in the kind of the, the mindset to do the music, or was it a specific sound you were wanting with that combination? Yeah, um, that's interesting. The, um, the big thing for me was getting into the prison was, Initially, the research that I'd done and in all my conversations with Taylor was the idea that part of the oppression in the prison and part of the psychological warfare, so to speak, was the sonic environment. You know, the fact that in researching the particular prison that they shot at, and actually the prison I got into to do some recording, um, there was a massive, massive riot there and where the prisoners... Um, took a bunch of hostages and killed the guards. I believe this was in the early 70s. And it's actually the biggest prison uprising in the history of the country. Hmm. And in doing so, one of their main goals 
was to break into the guard station and destroy the bell. And this bell had this certain frequency that was incredibly loud, incredibly piercing, and the guards were using it to signify mealtime, um, yard time, you know, wake up, you know, any, any um, scheduling, any, any change in shifts, anything was signified by this bell. And it ended up as the bell was sounding 40, 50 times a day. And I guess it would, it, it would be compared to, or I've heard it compared to someone with sleep deprivation, just constantly being woken up. Mm. And, and so their, their mission in this, a part of their mission, but the first thing they accomplished in this riot was to destroy the bell. And it made me realize how oppressive the sonic environment was. And also, you know, um, Mike McCluskey, who's played by Jeremy Renner, in the story, his character has been in prison. It's, it's prior, it's part of his history. But he talks about wanting to escape this town, and I really drew that comparison with wanting to escape the prison. And I thought, you know, this this reverb, that this the sound of the echo of the prison was so unique, it felt like a really appropriate sound to use on his character. Even though he's not in prison anymore, even though he's in this town, he's really incarcerated inside this life that he wants to escape. Furthermore, when we got into the prison, I, as you mentioned, I took in these um, percussionists and some medieval instruments in there, and it was really great. I love these instruments. I love these rhythms. I love these sounds. Now let's capture it in this cool acoustic environment. But to be totally honest, when we got in there, you know, pretty early on in the first session, somebody hit the wall or hit a grate with a drumstick. And it was like, oh, that's cool. And, it, and sort of the idea was born that maybe the, the prison itself is the instrument. Maybe hmm. we can get this whole structure resonating in such a way that really, um, you know, like a percussive instrument or even, you know, I was taking these cello and bass bows like you would bow a string and bowing a railing or a gate. And you can actually get the metal element of that resonating as well and playing a pitch. And that ended up being kind of what we diverted to in these sessions. And it's a massive um, sonic and an incredibly important thematic part of the score. Is that the first time you've done anything like that? Use the environment? Because obviously you've done these big budget blockbusters before like Rampage and San Andreas and you worked on uh, shows like American Gods. Is, is it normal for you to kind of use the surrounding environment to create sounds? Or is that just, was it serendipitous in this particular instance? I just like using words like serendipitous and we're going to end it on that note. We're going to come back though and get that answer to that question from Andrew Lockington that we continue to talk about his project. We'll also talk with Taylor Gray later on. This is geek to me Radio on the Big 550 KTRS. Please stand by. I recognize my face Say you don't care to everybody, this is John Machida Jr., Terrible Testaverde, the Micro Machine Man, also known as Blar. I just want to let you know that you're listening to geek to me Radio. We're back. The Big 550 K2S Geek to Me Radio. I'm your host, James Enstall. This segment brought to you by Bugs Comics and Games. BugsComicsandGames.com is the website you'll want to go check out. If you are collecting comics, maybe you make a New Year's resolution to read some books that you've not read before. Maybe you're used to getting Batman or you only get Spider-Man and you kind of want to branch out in the new year. Larry Quiggins, owner of Bugs Comics, and of course his partner, Tim, they are the guys to talk to. Uh, Every time I go by there to get my comics on Wednesdays, I'm always impressed because there'll be people come in and he's a brand new store, just opened up, so he's new in the area. So people will come in and say, oh, we just saw the sign, wanted to come in. And it was a mom and her son, or there were uh, there was a, an older lady came in with probably her daughter, but they were both, you know, my age or older, whatever. And he, he, what, what, who are you looking for? We're looking for my son. Well, what kind of stuff does he like? Well, he likes superheroes. And Larry took the time to show him some books, narrow it down, so it's like having a concierge comic book person right there with you to kind of guide you through. So whether you're a longtime reader or you're wanting to get into something new or whatever it is, uh, Bugs Comics is the best place to buy your new comics from because they have the Avengers Discount Club where you can start saving money on new comics, back issues, toys, merchandise, supplies, all that stuff. 
depending on how much you spend each month, you join the club, you pick a character to be your Avenger who you represent, be it uh, Marvel or DC. It can be uh, an independent. You can be Rick Grimes as an Avenger if you want from Walking Dead. doesn't matter. You pick the character, you get your own Avengers ID card, and you start earning a discount on those new comics. So make sure you join that. Also, Check out the Facebook page. Just go to Facebook.com. Look for Bugs, Comics, and Games. You can like the page there. They always post really cool interviews, little cool uh, advertisements and things like that on there as well. But this is a new business, which is new again because I remember going to Bugs when I was really little on West Florissant. And he closed down, decided to teach at Linwood. Now he's decided to do something new in his retirement. Now that he's done teaching, he wants to go back to comics, which is great. So check him out. Very excited that Bugs, Comics, and Games is back and they're better than ever. Check them out. Once again, the website, BugsComicsAndGames.com. Look them up on Facebook. Give the page a like, Bugs Comics and Games on Facebook as well. Before we took that break, we were talking with composer Andrew Lockington about, I almost said mayor of Easttown, and I'm like, no, that's not right, because it's not even mayor, it's mayor, but the, the mayor of Kingstown, which is the Andrew Lockington project that he did the composition, all the music and score for. And before we took that last break, I'd asked him about, uh, he said he used the environment, the surrounding environment, to create the sounds for this project. And I'd asked him if that's something that he'd ever done before. No, this was a first. I, I, I thought of it before. Twenty years ago, I was um, looking at doing a, a film, like a submarine um, military-type war film, um, like a sub-hunt kind of film. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to go on a sub and play the sub or, you know, things like that. But... But this is the first time I've ever done anything like that. And um, and it was fascinating. You know, one of the most interesting things, if you imagine the dome on top of the Capitol building or St. Paul's Cathedral, and when you get in inside a room like that, the acoustics are extraordinary. Yeah. And that is what this prison looked like. And so I was really, really excited to get inside. And I thought, we're going to go stand under the dome, put these drums underneath. It's going to sound amazing. And sure enough, since there'd been that riot, they had soundproofed the entire ceiling oh, no. of this dome. So there was nothing. There was no cool acoustics. And I got in there and I thought, oh, no, this is all going to backfire. And and at that point, we realized, even though there was no dome, there was this metal cage that went up four or five stories on the interior. And when we started um, drumming it, we were able to, you know, if you picture the soft mallets and people hit a cymbal mm -hmm. and you get it sort of gets like a, a whoosh wash instead of a ting when you yeah. hit a cymbal with a hard mallet. We were able to get that effect, but with a five-story metal structure, get the entire thing vibrating and resonating. And um, it was way better than I could have hoped. Huh. And uh, yeah, it worked out really well. That's kind of it's it's awesome. You've almost created a new uh, style now, just out of happenstance. It's like, oh, this sounds really cool, and do, I wonder if, like, on future projects, that that might come up again, or is it come, something you kind of don't want to make a thing out of necessarily? It's a good question. You know, it's I think it's whatever works. Um, the the story and the behind the scenes will intrigue intrigue a lot of people, but it, it's all moot if the you know the the goal of the score doesn't achieve what it what it should achieve, which is in the storytelling. So, no doubt, I won't exclude it, and I will always look at it as an option. Um, certainly, it's it's harder to go on the road with a prison under your arm. Yeah, this and, is true. And travel with it, but I um, I think I think I love the idea of it, but I it's definitely opened my mind to to realizing that when you get into a project and you get into a scoring session, this has happened a bunch of times, you go in with one intent and you very quickly recognize, you know, something else will come of it. A very similar thing with um, San Andreas. I sat down and, and destroyed a piano. And oh, my took gosh. a sledgehammer to a piano. And, and there was a scene in the film where the, um, the Golden Gate Bridge cables were snapping and I thought this is great I'm going to cut and snap the cable the strings on the piano and I'll have this really interesting symbolism and those that created some cool sounds but what ended up being so cool about that piano was this half destroyed piano after the first day was this really interesting instrument and when you actually sat down and played the keys and had some of the hammers hitting broken strings and some of the hammers were hitting like a stray piece of wood and it was almost like this one man band kind of huh. thing and and so so 
so that kind of taught me. And since then, I've learned, you know, go in with one idea, but be prepared to pivot on the day and, and follow the breadcrumbs to, uh, to the prize. And obviously with movies like you mentioned, San Andreas and Rampage, these huge action-packed, you know, entire cities getting destroyed, blockbusters. I assume you go into that with a different mindset as a composer than you do when you're going into something that's very drama-heavy like Mayor of Kingstown. Yeah, you'd, you'd think, and I certainly did early on. But, you know, the when I did San Andreas, I learned pretty early on that the most important role of the score wouldn't be to replicate an earthquake. It would be more to, um, I guess, make the audience love the characters and make them care about the characters so that instead of just watching someone and having the music attribute to this um, terrifying ordeal, have the music make you care about them like they're a sibling or a partner or a friend so that the stakes are higher. And, and, you know, in a similar way with Mayor of Kingstown, Taylor and I talked a lot about the music really creating this dark canvas and there's not a lot of hope and having these little rays of hope, these little musical themes and cues and motifs that would almost be a measure and just a glimpse of, of goodness, you know, of escape, of someday getting out of there. And what I thought was fascinating about it, and it's funny, I only just thought of this the other day, is when I was watching it and listening to it, you get used to the darkness and the oppression of that music, but when you have the little bits of hope, it kind of does the opposite. It makes you realize how far down the hole you are. So um, it, it's interesting how often in, in scores, doing the opposite and scoring the opposite can... Um, can have the desired effect just in a completely different way. And again, if you're wanting to see Mayor of Kingstown, it will be premiering on Paramount Plus as of November the 14th. You talk about character-driven and having the music kind of really bring an audience into a character. I'm assuming that must have been the case very much so with American Gods, where you have such strong character types. Obviously, this adapted from a graphic novel by Neil Gaiman. Uh, That must have been quite a pleasure to work on oh an immense pleasure it um i was able to work with uh, the showrunner chick ugly and uh, uh co-producer on the show uh damian kindler who i worked with many years ago on a series called sanctuary which um, um was a an incredibly rewarding project so yeah i mean and and also following up all the great talent in the previous two seasons that worked on american gods that was a real pleasure uh, to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It just, it, you've got to, at some point, I guess, pinch yourself to know that you're working with all this, these, these great projects that has all these great talents attached to it. And that people are like, Hey, Andrew, we'd love you to do the music for this. And then you kind of see what the script is and you see that people are being cast. It's got to be a very rewarding, uh, and almost surreal kind of experience that you're going through. Yeah, it is. And you know, the, the way you, are able to measure whether you are on the right path is to be on the wrong path. Like if, if you, if you want to make sure that the score is okay, then you can do a certain thing. If you want to make, try to make it great. And I think this is true of all art. You have to be willing to miss sometimes. And, mm-hmm. and one of the, the uh, luxuries of getting on a show like Mayor of Kingstown so early and in the script stage is Taylor and I had a lot of time to play with ideas and, learn what didn't work and and make it a safe place to try things that we could kind of laugh at and say, okay, I don't know why that would work. But it was only in doing that that we were able to think outside the box and, and find the ideas that wouldn't have been an obvious choice but ended up being really effective. You made reference before you said it was icing on the cake when a composer is brought in to kind of, okay, we've got everything done. Here are the visuals. Here are some of the scenes. Here's the you know the storyboards go ahead and create, but this one you were brought on and, you know, early on and able to kind of go through the process. Now that you've done it this way, is there any way to go back and say, ah, this is the way I want it from now on. (laughs) I don't want to come in last minute. I want to be there on the ground floor and kind of take the music up as we go. Yeah. You don't always have that, that luxury. And um, certainly I'd never say no to a project that I, that was my only option. But I, um, I certainly see the advantages, and it's funny just talking to a director I'm working with next year 
uh, this morning we were saying this exact same thing. We're going we're going to do this again and get get playing with themes and and really um, so often you're reacting to things, but in, in this show and in a couple of projects I've done this way to have the actors come up to you and say, hey, you know, I, I heard this is how you're thinking of, of the music for this. And for them to really um, imagine that and be brought into that process, which isn't a process I think they're normally uh, invited into, I think it makes the entire um, project a lot more symbiotic. And, um, and I certainly love hearing from actors on a set their thoughts about a character and what the music might be able to do that they don't want to do in their acting yeah, and vice versa. So it's, um, it's a big, you know, it's a big responsibility. I've had a few conversations with actors about this where I know that they might be walking a, a tightrope and not wanting to be too emotive. And I, I realize that music can yield a very sharp sword and can go really far one way, really far another when maybe the actor didn't have that intention. So certainly getting involved this early allows us to all work together and, and craft a, a show that will, um, will be much more than layers, but much more interwoven in terms of the creative. And once again, the show to which Andrew is referring, Mayor of Kingstown on Paramount Plus, Beginning November 14th, you can catch the episodes there. The website, I know, is andrewlockington.com. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Are you very active on social media? Are there uh, the you know Twitter and Instagram that people can also keep up with you, or is the website the best, best place to send people? My teenage daughters have gotten me uh, hooked up on Instagram, so I am Andrew Lockington Music on Instagram, and I do my best to... Um, um, put things here and there along the process of what I'm working on and um, and try to uh, give people a little behind the scenes on the music for these shows. And it's always great talking with people like yourself who bring such great emotion to these projects through the music. Andrew Lockington, I greatly appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being on the show with me. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for having me, and I hope you enjoy uh, Mayor of Kingstown. And make sure you check out Mayor of Kingstown. Just uh, go to your streaming platform and check that out. Jeremy Renner, fresh off the Hawkeye series, although this probably filmed before Hawkeye, if I remember the filming timeline correctly. But I'm not sure if I know that or not. But anyway, yes, they're both out now, so you can enjoy Hawkeye, and you can also enjoy Mayor of Kingstown and uh, Andrew Lockington. I'm always thrilled to talk to composers. Uh, They're just very interesting people, and they see things a different way than uh, a lot of other people do, which always makes it fun to talk to them. We're going to take another quick commercial break. We're going to come right back and chat with actor Taylor Gray about his film Night Night and his voicing Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. Please stand by. Hey, this is Mark Pellegrino, Lucifer from Supernatural, and you are listening to Geek to Me Radio. Geek to Me Radio brought to you on this Boxing Day edition. I'm your host, James Enstall, and make sure we tell you about our premier sponsor, the sponsor with who this show would not be possible, which is, of course, the Greater St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau. You know them from the website discoverstcharles.com. Just wrapped up their Christmas traditions, but there's always something going on. If you go to the events tab on the website, you'll see all the fun things there are due to coming up in the new year. And, of course, if you're from out of town, you're listening from outside the Greater St. Louis, St. Charles area, and you want to plan someplace new, it's your New Year's resolution to try someplace new get out and try the city of st charles the greater st charles convention and visitors bureau can help you with that start your trip as i always talk about by visiting the website first discover that's discover stcharles.com as we always say it's an historically good time with that said we have another guest here they are Right now we're talking with actor Taylor Gray about a brand new movie that everyone's going to need to see. I love, I've, I must have watched the trailer 14 times already and I get chills every time I watch it. The new film Night Night that'll be out in select theaters and video on demand 1116. Taylor, how are you? I'm doing so well. Thanks for having me on today. Of course. Thanks for being on. Uh, this movie, I, it, it's even though we're kind of past Halloween there's never a bad time for a suspense slash thriller slash horror movie. And this has, has like I said, those spine tingling elements just watching the trailer. Uh, talk a little bit about your role in the film as Jax Davis and the film itself. Um, for sure. Yeah. Like, as you said, this genre of film 
the thriller. I, I think this film is being classified as a psychological thriller. I feel like it's never been as big as it is now. Um, it's such a fun genre to sort of play in. And the film follows uh, the protagonist, April Davis, who's played by the amazing Brenna D'Amico, um, as she sort of comes back from this uh, life-threatening injury and it dovetails the uh, thriller aspect with a budding romance um, that she has where there are many like misdirects and turns around every corner where we get that uh, sort of horror thriller aspect. And I played Jax Davis, who is a hedonist, to say the least, very Epicurean, <laughs> a very Epicurean figure who I would say is most concerned with um, who he's going to end up with that night and what stimulants he might be able to get his hands on. But he <laughs> does care for his sister deeply, and so that bond um, drives a lot of story. And you've been in a lot of great projects with a lot of d different people who have uh, been acting on so many different levels, but I love the fact Eric Roberts, who we've had on the show before, and Tony Todd, uh, as far as talent goes, those are some powerhouse people to be working with. And you mentioned, obviously, Brenna as well, but just what an incredible cast overall. Yeah, the, no, the cast is really amazing. And beyond uh, what everyone has done and the talent that everyone has, everyone was so cool. And there's a funny story, actually, with um, uh, Eric Roberts. I had another film that had it came out just a month ago called hard luck love song and eric roberts is also in that movie so we <laughs> we funny enough have two movies that will be out that we're in together although in that film we had no scenes together whereas this one we did and he's just such uh, always it seems like he pops up in everything he's always in oh wait there's eric roberts like music videos tv shows he's always in these things and he just is a consummate professional every time i've encountered him and every time i've seen him in anything yeah, his resume uh, reads so long. It might take a couple of days to go through every project he's been in, but he was amazing. <laughs> Same with Tony Todd, who is uh, a legend in this genre, yeah. obviously. Um, and I, I was fortunate to have a handful of scenes with him, and he was such a, a fun guy to work with and an enjoyable like presence on set, even when we weren't rolling. And you mentioned the character of Jack's a hedonist. Um, when you're getting into the mindset, especially when you're doing one of these these characters like this who is tormented and troubled in his own right and everything like that, but you're you're in this thriller kind of bubble, what kind of preparations do you take when you're digging into a character and kind of coming onto a role like this? Um, I would hate to say that I go full method uh, <laughs> because that that would just be a tiresome life to lead. Sure. But uh, I, I will say I've had experiences and I've been around people that there is a, a sort of wealth to pull from uh, as far as who this guy is. And I, I do the same with every sort of character. I go in and create a sort of backstory and a character journal on who this person is, where they're at, what they're looking for. And it was fun. That was what drew me to the project actually was the character of Jax because I hadn't been able to play a character like him before um, that really just wore his heart on his sleeve in a way where – um, he's very vulnerable, but at the same time, like I'm, he's wearing furs and he's often in a state of inebriation, yeah. which was exciting. Was this, cause you've got obviously got an impressive resume yourself. You've done a lot of great roles. Is this something, did you, were you kind of like, Hey, we'd love to see Taylor come in and read for this. Or was this something you saw a script, put yourself out, said, Hey, I, I want to audition for this. What was the, what was the process of getting the role of Jax? Um, yeah, great question. I, uh, the director, Nikki Koss, and I were at the same agency, and that's a very common thing um, in this industry of, like, internally they'll send um, they'll send projects around. And so somehow it came across one of my agents and across their desk, and they sent me – funny enough, they sent me the role of another character first saying, like, hey, what do you think about this? We'd love to see you put this on tape. And I read the script, and I connected more with the – Jack's character, the character that I ended up playing. And so I actually, they didn't send me any sides for Jack. So I just taped randomly a scene from the film that Jack's was in because I hadn't played a character like that and I, I really wanted to. And so I recorded it, sent it in, and they responded. They were like, oh, well, we actually really dig this, but can we send you the real sides? So they sent me the sides <laughs> and I recorded a scene or two for them. And then I was in Texas uh, like a week or two later. Very nice. 
And it's, it's always fun to play roles like this. Like I said, if, if it's uh, the, the comedy roles are always a lot of fun, but when you get to do these dramatic, like I said before, troubled characters in, in a thriller type, it feels like there's a little more meat on the bone for an actor. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's, that's what, especially with this character, there are a lot of uh, really emotional beats to it. And you, you, there's some depth to the character that I think when we first meet him, we don't necessarily expect. And this was written by Robert Johnson. You, you uh, mentioned directed by Nikki Koss. This is her first, if I'm not mistaken, feature debut directing uh, that she's done. And it looks like it's going to be brilliant. I just, like I said, I must have watched the trailer 14 times and you get those, those little beats in there with just like, make your skin kind of tingle. It's such a fun uh, feeling. I can't wait to see the finished project. And if you're listening right now, again, it'll be in select theaters and video on demand November 16th. You can check out nightnightmovie.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, Talking about some of your other projects, obviously, I got to talk about Star Wars Rebels. Love Star Wars. Always have. We just got to talk with Jim Cummings about playing Hondo. And he mentioned that a lot of the scenes uh, that they would do, some of the lines he would throw out, were sometimes ad-libbed and some of those actually made it into the script. Did you, uh, were you able, was it one of those situations where you were recording somewhere totally separate or did you actually get to work with the cast in a booth a lot? Um, yeah, actually it's cool that you bring that up. That Star Wars, uh, Rebels was such an amazing experience. And I'm so grateful to have been a part of that world and be a part of the Star Wars world. Um, and Jim Cummings was amazing. Every time we recorded with him, I would, I think I could go on record and say, he ad-libbed more than any other actor on that show. And he's right. Like a handful of them would end up in the show. And George, I believe this is a precedent set by George Lucas when they started Clone Wars. He believed that all the actors should be together while they were recording to get that spirit and energy um, like you would have on set if you were in a room together. So we actually recorded nearly every single episode. And there was almost a hundred episodes of that. Um, with the entire cast, the core group of the rebels that were on the ghost ship, we would be together for almost every session. And I think that's what added to so much of the dynamic within the crew and made it so fun. And also when there were, we had some pretty cool guest stars that I, were, that I was really excited to meet. And it was fun that we were able to work together in the studio with them. Yeah. That's always, uh, we've talked to voice actors before and some of them said, it's kind of, you don't get that same feel when it's just you in a booth the director's there saying, yeah, try it like this now. But when you've got, when you can see and actually act and play off the other characters, that definitely ups everyone's performance. Oh, for sure. And, and I think it's something that Star Wars is so good about um, bringing everyone together. That's really cool. You spoke to Jim. He, he's awesome. Yeah. I, I was a Darkwing Duck fan back in the day. So uh, as soon as I knew he was going to be at a recent convention, booked my tickets, was there to see him and <laughs> got to chat with him. We've, uh, looking at Star Wars Rebels, the character of Ezra, uh, it was an amazing character journey, too. Like, the writing uh, it's on Clone Wars and Rebels, the writing is outstanding, and there's a lot of character development there, too. Oh, yeah, and it was cool because um, I can go ahead and say I, up to that point, I think the longest I'd ever been on a show was two or three seasons, and then it had been canceled, whereas this show went uh, double, triple as long as any other show I've been on. So the character development, Dave Filoni uh, always had an idea of what the trajectory was going to be for each character. And before each season, he would talk to us about where the character was and where he saw them going. And so it was really cool to, to your point, grow this character from what he starts as like uh, a young street kid with these innate abilities to then becoming a Padawan to then becoming a pretty formidable Jedi. Yeah, definitely. And with the talk of the Ahsoka Tano live action series coming soon, uh, they've talked about, obviously Katie Sackhoff got to play Bo-Katan in real life. There's been a short list of people, obviously Rahul Kohli said he'd love to play Ezra. Gabriel Luna said he'd like to do it. This is a role though, that obviously it would be so cool to have you do the live action. Is that something that obviously I don't want you to get you contractually sued by Disney, but is that, uh, is that anything that's been discussed? Is that something you would be interested in playing him live action? Um, that is definitely a character that I would love to play live action. I mean, just because my background is live action, that's where sure, my training yeah. is. And so the further development of Ezra would only, um, I feel like make more sense and, and go even further into what I have, 
uh, sort of in all of my character journals for the backstory of this character. But Star Wars always, I, I you never know what they'll do with anything. Um, but it's such an amazing character, and I feel so inextricably tied to it that uh, it would be amazing to continue his journey on. Absolutely, and I'm always a, a fan of the people who do the voice coming in to actually do the roles for the live action stuff. So I, I'm behind you. I'm, I, I love Rahul Kohli dearly, dearly, but I'd love to see you take on that role in live action. Oh, thank you, man. Absolutely. And talk about the voiceover work. You've done, obviously, other projects. The live action acting, like on the Nickelodeon series, uh, Bucket and Skinner's Epic Adventures. Do you have a preference when it comes to the live action versus the voice role? It sounds like maybe a little bit you're more preferential to the live action, but it, does it depend on the role? Does it depend on the project? Yeah, yeah. Um, Rebels was the first voiceover project I'd ever done, and it turned out to be Star Wars, which is pretty funny because that's <laughs> about as big as, as it could have gotten. No and doubt. So I was kind of thrown into just uh, trial by or baptism by fire, and um, it was it was amazing. It was it was so cool to be a part of. Um, I found it there was a learning curve to it because. Um, all my training is in theater school and, and uh, film and television, mm -hmm. right? And on different sets. And so when you're on set and when you're on camera or on stage, you have many different tools um, at your disposal. Like you can uh, emote without speaking or you can move in certain ways. You can hold your body uh, where you put your attention. That all says who a character is. But when you're doing voiceover, you only can emote through your voice. And right. – that was it was really great training to just improve basically the voice training for um, further pro or uh, projects in the future. But yeah, I, I don't know if I can even pick between any of them because acting is acting and I love it so much. But I, I would say live action is where I feel most comfortable and where I feel at my most dynamic and best. And you mentioned the stage stuff too. Every actor I've ever talked to who is who has done live theater says that's something that never goes away, your desire to perform in front of a live audience and have, kind of walk that wire. Uh, do, you, do you, in the future, do you want to do more theater or is kind of live action TV movies kind of where you want to be? And we are going to get that answer from young Taylor Gray right after this. Please stand by. You're listening to Geek to Me Radio on the Big 550 KTRS. Hey, this is Phil Lamar. Homies Conrad. The samurai known as Jack. And you're listening to Geek to Me Radio. We're back. Geek to Me Radio live every night here on the Big 550. I'm your host, James Enstall. Want to tell you about our official movie sponsor, Marcus Theaters. Marcus Theaters with their $5 Tuesdays. You go to Marcus Theaters on Tuesdays, $5 admission to any movie you want to go see. Complimentary free popcorn with you flashing your Marcus Magical Movie Rewards card to them. Uh, it's easy to join. It's free to join. You can join on the website, MarcusTheaters.com, or you can join at the theater when you go there to see, well, I don't know, Spider-Man No Way Home or maybe Matrix Resurrections, which is also now playing in theaters, or The King's Man, also now playing. Uh, all sorts of great movies to go see. It's a holiday time. It's in between Christmas and New Year's. Get out and see a movie. Bring some friends. Bring some family. Um, American Underdog comes out, uh, or sh I should say it is out now, too. The Kurt Warner story, starring, of course, our friend from Chuck. Uh, and, of course, Scream, also in theaters January 14th. You can get your tickets now for that. Check out the website, MarcusTheaters.com. Find the Marcus Theaters or Movie Tavern location closest to you and go from there. Again, make sure you join that Magical Movie Rewards program. Last-minute gift card offer, too. 25% off of e-gift card purchases of 50... I'm sorry, of $25 or more. 25% off, $25 or more. Now through January 2nd, your last call to grab those as well. Always a great time at the movies when you go to the right theater, and that theater should be Marcus Theaters. MarcusTheaters.com for the best movie-going experience in the galaxy. Chatting with actor Taylor Gray, and before we took that last break, we'd asked him about stage acting versus TV and film. Is there a preference there for him? I definitely want to do more theater. It's to the point that you just made of what other actors who have done it before said. Like, there's nothing quite like the rush of being on stage, and it's like a concert. Like, live music is so exciting. And same with live theater. Anytime um, I'm in New York, I I go to the theater 
as often as I can to see what's on. And there's, there's great plays everywhere across the country and internationally. Um, the last time I was on stage was actually Scotland and Edinburgh. And it oh, was wow. so much fun um, to be a part of. And every night is a different show. You yeah. know what I mean, and there's an energy, a sort of give and take with the audience that I think is magical. And on your Twitter bio, I was very intrigued. You have actor, writer, winemaker. So you've actually got your own type of wine, make life dandy wine. Is that something, how did you get involved with that? That's right. We have, um, I, it's that whole Mark Twain thing, uh, write what you know. Uh, I definitely drink a handful of wine and I was approached by a friend who's in the beverage industry, um, who had started a pH, uh, water enhancement mix. And he was looking to get into the space of alcohol and, um, dandelion wine is a wine that's kind of been made for a long time it's the recipes go back it's almost like bathtub gins every family sort of had their own recipe and my grandmother used to make it they served oh, wow. it at woods woodstock it was a thing where everyone sort of made this this concoction of dandelion wine and with the uh the surge of seltzers that were saying we were like oh well why don't we modernize this old drink and bring it um, into a new form. And so we, uh, we worked for about a year, year and a half to get a good recipe for dandelion wine. And, uh, yeah, it's been enjoyed for the last like six months by a lot of our friends and people, uh, and actually we, we got licensing across the States. So I think we're in 44 different States. We'll have to see if one of those states uh, with us here in St. Louis, Missouri, we can get some of that because I, I always love trying new things. Not I'm, I'm not an alcoholic, but I'm certainly up, up for trying new wines and spirits whenever I do find them. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> I feel you. That's awesome. And as far as the writing goes, you've written uh, Audience of One and Demoda. When you're when you're writing and acting, is it, is it something the writing you kind of just a different way to express yourself versus the acting? Is there... Uh, is it writing because it's the kind of story you want to tell? Talk a little bit about where your mindset is when you do the writing of a, of a, a movie or a uh, short or a play or something like that. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, one, it just informs the acting because you're looking, you're really dissecting characters and you're creating them from the beginning of who they are, what they want, why they're in a story, why it's being told now. But I, I think when I was young, I, I wanted to be a storyteller, and that's what got me into acting. And I started acting, I think the first film I did, I was about 13. And when I was working on the Nickelodeon show you mentioned, in my teenage years, I every day you would be in there with the writers and directors, and you would be there every week. So I started to shadow the writers a bit. And I saw how they were really telling the stories that they wanted to tell out of their own minds. And as mm. actors, I'm not going to say we were pawns, but we definitely – we were just the subjects of their stories. You know what I mean? And so I was really excited to kind of try my hand at it. And then through school, I studied, uh, I studied writing and philosophy and I was really excited to start telling stories of my own. And so the last five, six, seven years, um, I've really been focusing on that because there is downtime between um, gigs and it's a great time for me to kind of continue in the vein of storytelling um, and in the arts. I, I love writing so much. And obviously you mentioned creating, you know, when you do the deep dives into characters like Ezra or like Jax and you're kind of creating a backstory, this is just, I guess, creating the backstory for not only your character, but the entire cast, the entire world. You're kind of on a grander scale, kind of what you did for Jax and Ezra. Exactly. Exactly. And you're thinking thematically in, in bigger strokes and uh, broader strokes uh, what themes you want to convey in a story. Whereas with character development, when I'm playing a character, I, I tend to shy away from that because a director will have more opinions on that. And it's their story to tell when they're in the directing seat. And so with uh, when I'm acting, I'll mainly stick with a certain character and really try and mine them for the specificity that they, uh, they deserve. You've got a couple Items in post-production will be coming out soon. Lullaby and High Expectations. Are you able to talk about those at all, or is it a little bit too early? Yeah, no, I can I can actually speak on both. Lullaby is a, a project that I do not know as much about. One of my friends uh, is has directed that, and we shot it a few years ago. And I believe 
he's working on expanding that universe. Mm. And so he's kind of sitting on it and um, breaking story to make it a a larger project. But um, the two other films that have come out are High Expectations. Uh, I played a professional soccer player. Funny enough, the character name is Jack Davis, which is just (laughs) a real, real fluke that that happened. And uh, Kelsey Grammer plays my dad in that film. And so that was a really fun time. We were in Atlanta this last year, uh, kicking the soccer ball around for a couple of months. And that was a blast. And they have another film that will be coming out called The Wheel, which it just premiered at TIFF in Toronto last month. But it will be out, uh, I think, beginning of next year. Very cool. So it sounds like you stayed very, very busy the past year or so. Yeah, it's been a weird time with everything that's been going on in the world. But I was fortunate enough to... Uh, to work on a few films during 2020, it just meant that there was a lot of COVID testing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you obviously have been in the industry for a while now, going back to TV shows like Numbers and The Mentalist. So you've been on movie sets, you've done voice roles, you've done TV. You just mentioned Kelsey Grammer, and obviously we mentioned Eric Roberts and Tony Todd also with you in Night Night. Do you ever, or I should say, do you still get a little starstruck when you get to work with certain actors? Um. It's funny. I in the world of acting, it doesn't really happen so much, just because I think the the veil is gone and, and the idea of like celebrity and not celebrity. I, I think there are certain people that are very talented that I that I'm really impressed by that I love. But when I get Star Trek, it is almost exclusively uh, athletes and writers. Because oh, wow. athletes, I just I'm blown away by what they do and. I played sports all growing up and I love them so much, but I could never do what they're doing. Whereas when someone is in your profession and in your field, you might get a call tomorrow that you're going to be in a scene with them and you can hold your own. And that's what you train for and study your entire life. Right. So I, I really enjoy working with these people who are at the top of, of our craft. And I think it's so amazing. But when I get starstruck, it's almost always just, um, actors, or sorry, sorry, athletes and uh, writers, writers as well, some novelists. I just, I've read some of their books and I'm blown away and I, I just can't imagine how much thought goes into what they've done. What stuff do you read normally that kind of like, if you had to say like three authors off the top of your head who you follow, you read everything they, they put out, are there specific ones that you like gravitate toward? Yeah, I mean, I'll have to go more modern because I can't bring Camus back from the dead. Right. <laughs> but I obviously, like, I I got my foundation from, like, Camus, Dostoevsky, obviously, going to American writers like Fitzgerald and Hemingway mm. and, and anyone within the Beat Generation, Kerouac and whatnot. But as far as writers today, people that I am blown away by are uh, Ben Lerner, I think is unbelievable. I've read every book that he's put out. Um, His poetry is great, but his novels are just, they're so impressive and amazing. Sally Rooney is another writer who's really, really great and incisive at, at building out these relationships. And it's funny because all of her books now have been optioned for either TV shows or films and the only one that's come out so far is called Normal People, and it has done really, really well. Um, and then who else? Zadie Smith is another one. There's so many, so many great writers. And you also mentioned sports. Was soccer one of the ones you played when you were growing up? And was that one of the more active sports you played, or was it kind of other sports and you just happened to be doing the soccer film with Kelsey Grammer? Um, I did play soccer growing up, not as much as basketball. Basketball is my main sport, and so when I did the film with Kevin Durant, that was – really came in handy yeah. because, I mean, that was someone who I was a bit starstruck by because, I mean, he's one of the best basketball players in the NBA. And so having to play basketball in front of him and with him, that was a bit nerve-wracking. But this film uh, with Kelsey Grammer is funny. At the We had auditioned with the director. I met with the director. And then the last group of actors they had, they wanted us to do a soccer test, like go to a field, kind of shoot on a goalie, dribble around, um, juggle the ball, different things. And I hadn't played that recently. So I think I spent two, three weeks training before that test um, to really get it down again. But it's funny how quickly things like that come back to you, things that you did when you were a youngster. And so it was so fun because once we got out to Atlanta, then it was soccer every single day. And I had a blast with it. It's that muscle memory. I'm I'm not – 
by any means an athletic type, but if you put a Transformers in my hand, I can pretty much do it blindfolded, put him from a robot exactly. to a car. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, that's my contribution to muscle memory uh, for the week. Uh, hey, we need that. And talking about toys, too, it's got to be, to kind of circle back for a moment, it's got to be very surreal. There's Ezra Bridger action figures out. Uh, that's got to be so cool to see a character that you gave life to in action figure form. Oh, I mean, there's nothing cooler. And it was cool when my mom sent me a picture one day. She, I think she was out at, like, Target shopping, and she sent me a picture, and she was like, no way. Look at this. Look what <laughs> I just found. I, I see you. And I was like, oh, that's that was really cool to have happen and see. And also, Lucasfilm is so great about sending every piece of um, memorabilia that is made r- around the show. So when the show first came out, they sent me, like, every lightsaber. They sent me all the nice. figures everything and so i had a roommate at the time and i think she was just fierce because i would the early uh iteration of the ezra bridger lightsaber um had uh like basically a blaster aspect to it yeah and so it came with these little blue blaster bullets and i i would fire them (laughs) around the apartment and he just hated it and so all of those things are long gone i think he just threw them all in the trash oh no just the bullets, just the oh, bullets. just the bullets. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say all the memorabilia. That's that's horrible. No, 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 no. I still no. I have I still have so much of it. Some of it is in storage, but also some of it I have up in my place now, which is really fun. And obviously, you guys did San Diego Comic Con when you were doing Rebels and everything like that. For that, uh, is do you have like any? Obviously, you're very busy with everything else you're doing. But are there any plans to do any conventions in 2022? Now that hopefully COVID's kind of starting to go away. Yeah, it's funny. I was actually, I, I, my relationship with conventions has become so amazing because at first I didn't do any of them. I didn't, I didn't know what they were. And I think I was honestly a little scared of what it might be because the first time when the show was coming out, we went to San Diego Comic-Con and it was, it was amazing. It was so cool, but it was also overwhelming how big it was. Yeah. And so the first few seasons of the show, I didn't really go to many conventions. And then I started to go and I would go to them internationally, which was really cool. I, went to a handful in the UK and some in Canada and various places. I was supposed to go actually to San Antonio, I believe it was um, a couple months ago, but because of COVID it was canceled. Mm. So hopefully I always feel bad when you've made plan or they've announced that you're going to go and something happened. So if the people in San Antonio, if that gets put on again, I will definitely make my way down there um, to be a part of it. But as of right now, just, I think because of COVID and us, the, not really knowing where it's going to go. I don't have any plans as of right now for uh, any conventions. Gotcha. Okay. Well, hopefully that'll change. Hopefully COVID will go away. And uh, if that's the case, then we, we, uh, they just announced fan expo St. Louis coming here uh, next year. So that'd be cool to have you come to St. Louis. I can give you all the cool places to eat. That would be amazing. I actually have gone to fan expo. Um, I've gone to a couple of fan expos. I went to a fan expo in, I think it was Toronto. And I also went to fan expo in, uh, indiana i believe okay yeah 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 it's always cool to be able to meet the people who you know do these voices and who have been in these shows and everything like that and i know the fans are certainly huge rebel following out there because as soon as i said i was speaking with you my facebook thing just got inundated with uh are you kidding really you're talking you're talking to taylor gray so huge following for rebels and that's such a cool thing that you're part of that universe oh that's amazing well hopefully i can make my way out for uh a convention um, in that area. That would be really cool to do. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if Jim Cummings out there as well for it. <laughs> that'd be cool to see Hondo and Ezra reunited. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> exactly. And again, if you're listening, the film night night is out in select theaters and video on demand as of 11 16, go to nightnightmovie.com for more information. You can probably find if it's playing close to you or not. And this is definitely a picture you're going to want to check out. Taylor Gray, this has been an absolute pleasure. Tell people where they can find you as far as websites, social media handles. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, my um, my Twitter's I am Taylor Gray, and my Instagram is Taylor Gray three. Perfect. Continued success to you. And if uh, down the road, like I said, if you want to plug Lullaby or High Expectations, we'd love to have you back on. Oh, thank you so much, man. It was really great chatting with you. You as well. There he goes. Thank you again to Andrew Lockington. Check out Mayor of Kingstown and, of course, Taylor Gray. Check out his film Night Night. 
Uh, thank you, as always, to Joey V for coming in on this Boxing Day edition. And so I didn't have to be here all by myself. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you to our sponsors, Bugs Comics, Discover St. Charles, and Marcus Theaters. Max on Movies is next. Make sure you check that out. Until next week, my friends. It's not in the way you look when you make him a throat references. That's a show. Hey kids, are your parents about to buy you a shiny new toy from Amazon? Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? Well, don't be selfish. Share some of that money with us. Before going on Amazon, make sure to type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. It will look just like Amazon.com, except it'll say referral geek to me radio up top. And then when you check out, a tiny percentage will go to support the show without costing you one cent more. So before your parents get you that gizmo, gadget, or widget, make sure they type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. Bit.ly slash geek to me. Bit.ly slash geek to me.